Well, good morning. My name is Mark. If I haven't met you, it's a pl- privilege to, on, uh, to worship God with you this morning at Redemption Parker. And uh, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, you can begin to work your way. We'll be in the book of Hebrews. It's about 90% the way through uh, the Bible. If you have a physical Bible, such a thing like that. Otherwise, just look it up on your phone. We'll be in that. We're concluding our series this week, uh, Life on Purpose. And as we were concluding the series, I, it made me think of uh, my favorite television show, uh, The Office. So, any Office fans here? And my, okay, good. So, and my favorite character, Michael Scott. I think we got a picture of Michael up here, the world's best boss. Uh, if you like cringy kind of humor, then he is your guy. And so, Michael, um, it made me think of this, this quote that we often share in our family about Michael. Uh, it was during an episode where he had gone down some paths financially that were not good. Like, he, he was just, he was broke. And so, uh, Michael is talking to the camera, being interviewed, and he's talking about his financial situation. And he says this. He says, yes, money has been a little tight lately, but... At the end of my life, when I'm sitting on my yacht, am I going to be thinking about how much money I have? No. I'm going to be thinking about how many friends I have and my children and my comedy albums. (laughs) I mean, I have a yacht, so I obviously did pretty well (laughs) money-wise. Well, in that episode, uh, Matthew reminded me, he's like, well, it goes on, it gets worse financially for him. And so at one point, he walks into the office and he raises his hand and he says, I declare bankruptcy. (laughs) And they're like, Michael, you you can't just say it. I didn't say it, I declared it. (laughs) Well, I thought of that because uh, as we talk about doing life on purpose, Uh, When Michael says, well, I'm on a yacht, so obviously I did okay. Um, It's this kind of American optimism that we have. I've lived overseas, and, you know, other cultures don't share that, that that just things are just going to work out, right? Like, so sometimes we see someone, and and they're going down a bad path, and and you're like, hey, how do you think this is going to work for you? And they're like, well, God will work it out. I'm like, why do you think God will work? Why, why would you think he'd do that? Financially, relationally, otherwise. We just have this optimism, which I don't think is a bad thing, except for it can, it can deceive us into just kind of being apathetic or, or just kind of going with the flow. Because after all, I'm on a yacht when I'm retired. And what we saw in this, this series so far is that's just not how life works. The pull of this world, the pull of our hearts, the pull of the flesh, what the Bible calls the world, the flesh of the devil, is not toward a godliness and a Christ-centeredness. The pull is away from all that. It's the second law of thermodynamics. It's entropy. Uh, We go from a state of order to disorder. And so to get order in our lives actually takes purpose and meaning and intent. Like we're not going to arrive financially and relationally and spiritually where we want to just on accident. And so Jesus said, hey, uh, spiritually, there, there, there are only two paths. There is a wide path. Many, most people are on it. It's easy. But in the end, that path leads to destruction. And he said, hey, there's a narrow path. Few find it. It's hard. But in the end, it leads to life. And, and in American Christianity, we, we like, okay, we, we don't want to be on the wide path of destruction. The narrow path seems kind of hard, though, Jesus. Can we have a middle? Is there a middle way? He's like, no, 
that <laughs> there's either the way to life or the way to death. And so we've been looking at it as we started a new year, just this idea that we are called to live life on purpose. And so in week one, we, we looked at the principle of the path. And that's simply this, that your direction determines your destination, not your intention. So we all have good intentions, right? I, I don't know anyone that has a bad intention financially, relationally, spiritually, and yet we end in places that are often bad because our direction, not our intention, determines our destination. And so we saw in, in week two that God is into uh, growing our faith. He wants us to believe he is who he says he is and that he'll do everything he promises he'll do. And so we said he uses means to that end. So as we walk on the narrow path with Jesus, he's got some means to that end. And so one of them is just the word of God. It's a guardrail for, for our lives to, to help us walk. And one of them is prayer. It's a, it recalibrates our hearts. And, and centers us on God. And last week, Matthew talked about how on the journey, we can take moments of just resting in Christ because Jesus purchased our Sabbath rest. And all of those are hugely important. But what I'm going to talk to you about today will be the greatest determiner of your life in five years, 10 years, 15 years from now. And our tendency, especially as Americans, is to think this one's not as important. But really, in many ways, it's the most important means of God's grace for you to persevere to the end. Let me tell a couple stories that illustrate this. Um, doing, this is about 10 years ago. We were doing a ministry in Okinawa. And at the time, two guys came into our lives, uh, Jay and Jared. And Jay, uh, they, they both kind of came. They had gone down paths in their lives. Their, their lives, spiritually, financially, relationally, were kind of a, a wreck. And so Jay came to us, and he had grown up as a missionary kid in Mexico. And, and he knew all the lingo, but he was about to just totally uh, abandon the faith and and he came on our, our men's retreat, and I just got to spend time with him. And over the next few days and weeks, months, and even years, Jay uh, just became on fire for the Lord. He grew. He, he became a leader. He was our worship leader. He was one of our elders. Uh, he would uh, actively share his faith. Uh, the younger men looked up to him and, and, and would learn from him. I can point to other friends of mine that he had led to faith that, uh, that are walking vibrantly today because of Jay's role in his life. And so after several years, uh, it was time for Jay to go to his next duty station. It was going to be in New Mexico. And just a few weeks before Jay was headed out, uh, another guy named Jared came to us. Jared came to us because the chaplain sent him to us because his life was, uh, was a mess. He was getting kicked out of the Air Force with a dishonorable discharge. In his arrogance and in his pride, he had gone down paths uh, that he got involved in a sexual relationship with a married woman in the military. She had gotten pregnant. And the military, that's a no-no in the military, even though it happens all the time. And, and so uh, he was getting kicked out, and he came to us. And, and so we're like, okay, we, we've got three weeks before you're out of here. And so we shared the gospel with him. He believed. He trusted. He turned from his sin. But he was a brand-new believer. And so we tried to do what we could, like, hey, pouring into him. But, but behind his back, we were kind of like, man, what is he going to do? He, he doesn't have any friends. He doesn't have a church. He doesn't have a job. He's getting dishonorably discharged. Things are, are probably not going to go well well for Jared. And so uh, we sent them both off about the same time and we kept track with them. 
Jay, Jay is one of my best friends. And so we'd check with him and, hey, how are you doing? And he's like, well, life's busy. Got to a new duty station. Have you found a church yet? No, we're going to try this and this. And okay, well, let us know about that. And check in a few months later. How's that going? Well, the kids are older now. And so they got more activities. And so we really haven't plugged in anywhere. And like, dude, Jay, you, you need to get involved. You need to get plugged in, man. And he's like, okay, yeah, we'll do that. And um, continue to go on. And he would try these churches, but because he had been a leader at our church in Okinawa, because they had been so involved in community, he was always comparing the two. And he was always disappointed because there was richness, there was relationship that took time, that, that took a lot of time actually, but, but he was, he, they would pop from one church and one chapel service to another, to another, and never really Sit, set down roots. And then tragedy happened. Late into uh, one of her pregnancies, uh, they, she gave birth to a stillborn baby. And, and this just, brokenness entered in. And, and she uh, used that moment to turn back in the valley of the shadow of death to God. But, but for Jay, it hardened his heart. He began to blame God. He began to bl- blame the people of God. Said, God, why would you do this to me? Why aren't these people coming alongside of me? He was always judging them and their, the way that they were not caring for him, were not walking with him. And so he allowed that to just kind of sit on his heart for a while. And that began to harden his heart so that he went down other paths. He, he became addicted to pornography and that, that, that led him down other paths. And eventually I would have conversations with Jay of multiple affairs breaking his marriage vows. I mean, he was a leader one of my best friends. He was our worship leader. Like sending them off, you would have said, no, he, he's good. He understands community. He understands all that. But, but in reality, it doesn't matter how strong you are today. What you do with the people of God will determine the direction and quality of your life in the next five years, 10 years, and 15 years. Well, what about Jared? Jared, we're sending him off, and we're like, good luck. But he, he goes to Dallas, and he, he, he gets plugged in at a mega church, the village church, actually. And it's easy to get lost there, but, but somehow he, by the grace of God, sought out a men's group, and he, he got involved with them, and he told them, hey, man, I got a kid coming the, on the way, but they don't want to have anything to do with me. I got dishonorably discharged. I don't have a job. I don't have a place to live. And this, this group of men just began to bring him in. And so I'd check in him, and I'd be surprised. Hey, man, you're, you're still a Christian. That's, that's good. And uh, he'd go a little bit further, and he's sending out support letters. Hey, I, I want to go on a mission trip. You want to go on a mission trip? Okay, yeah, we'll support you on that. And just tracking with them, and he's just growing and growing in the Lord because of God's means of God's people. Two stories, two endings. Proverbs says, uh, 13, Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise. But a companion of fools will suffer harm. It's the principle of the path applied to the people around you. And we want to spend time on the wise side of the equation. He who walks with the wise grows wise. You and I were created for one another. We have to push back against the American individualistic lone ranger, I'll do things on my own mindset. You will not survive in that way. You were never intended to. 
God, when he created us out of, from eternity past, was in perfect relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he said, we will make them in our image. And he made us as image bearers to, to be in relationship with him and relationship with one another. Before there was ever sin in the world, there was one thing that was not good. Adam was alone. And so God creates Eve, and certainly that applies most appropriately in the marriage relationship, but I think it applies broader than that. You and I were created for one another. And then going on in the Old Testament, God is, is pursuing a people for himself. And he says, I want you to be my people and I'll be your God. And I want to show uh, the world what it looks like to be in relationship with me as you live out life and faith with one another. You're to be a light to the nations. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus comes, shows us what life with the Father is like. And with his blood, he purchases us back from the grave. While we were still sinners, Romans 5 says, Christ died for us. And he didn't just die for us. It says he adopted us. It's family language. If you're a follower of Christ, you are called a son and daughter of God. You are in a family, a covenant family. And this is on repeat in the New Testament. Look to Christ. Look what he's done. And then it pivots and it says, here's how it applies to your life. Live it out with one another. And so Paul and Peter and James, they'll they'll remind us of the gospel and they'll say, hey, now you do this with one another. Paul will say in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that if you're in Christ, you are equipped by the Spirit of God. No matter what age you are, you are empowered and gifted. You have gifts. But he's very clear. Those gifts are not for you. They're for the people on your left and your right. And so God has gifted me for you, and he's gifted you for me, and, and he's designed it for us to need one another and, and to, to, to do life together. So 59 times in the New Testament, there are these one another verses. Love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, weep with one another. Um, that, that can't be done in isolation. Because God has a plan and a purpose to shape and form Christ in us through the imperfect people around us and for us to do that for them. So we need one another. What you do with this message will be the greatest predictor of your future. And so we say often here at Redemption Parker, your, your relationship with God was designed to be intensely personal, never private. Intensely personal, but never private. So you need to do life together. And so we're going to look at this passage, a couple passages in the book of Hebrews, where, where he talks about holding fast. How are we going to make it to the end? And in Hebrews chapter 3, we'll pick up the first one. But let me just set this up. The author of Hebrews has two goals for, for this group of believers who have intense pressure on them to abandon their faith. And his goal, his first goal is to see and savor Jesus, to remind them of the supremacy of Jesus. Because they were tempted to believe, uh, to, to go back. They were Jewish background believers. They were tempted to go back to the law, go back to Moses, and kind of put Jesus on par with that. And he says, no, here's what's true. Look to Jesus. He's superior in every way. And so uh, he reminds them of that. And his second goal is to help these people persevere to the end. And so he's got some plans for that because there was real pressure. There was real cultural pressure and there was a Roman-wide pressure. The Christians were dying for their faith. Now, now if, if that was true, there, that is true in parts of the world today, but if that was true in America today, one, we probably would not be in this building 
in a public place, but we'd be in each other's homes. And two, we would desperately cling to one another to persevere to the end. And so that's what he is encouraging the church. And so in, in Hebrews chapter 3, after he's put forth Jesus, he, he gives them a warning because there, there is a tendency for our hearts to be led astray, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. We sing about it. And so in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Now take care or, or pay attention. Live life on purpose, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So he gives them this warning. He says, be intentional. Don't just think everything's going to work out, but take care. He says, why? Because your heart can, can begin to lead you astray. So, so we have a saying, I've talked about it before in our culture, like just follow your heart. But the Bible says don't do that. Cultivate your heart. Shape your heart so that it loves the right things. But in and of itself, it will lead you away. And that implies process over time. And so my buddy Jay, when, when, he, when he left the harbor, our, our church in Okinawa, he had no intention of going down those paths. That, that wasn't his intention. But over time, his unbelieving heart led him astray. And so what's the solution? The author of Hebrews shows us, verse 13, but exhort one another. There's one of the 59 verses. Exhort one another. That that word exhort is, is important there. Your translation might say encourage, and that is certainly needed for our perseverance, but, but, but you can encourage a stranger. You can't exhort a stranger. To exhort someone implies that there's a level of relationship, a level of life together that you've given permission to someone to speak truth and grace and exhortation in your life. And so the question for us immediately is, who is that in your life? Have you lived the kind of life, are you living the kind of life that someone, you could point to someone, hey, they've got my back. And even if I begin to go down a wrong path, I know they're going to step in and say, hey, you've gone down a wrong path. And it can't just be your spouse because sometimes that's the problem, right? Like wives and husbands, like if your husband's going astray, they'll see that just as nagging. But if they have other men in their life that says, hey man, how are you doing loving your wife and children? How are you doing loving God? And if they can speak into your life, that is a gift from God and God intends it for us. Exhort one another. Um, and then he says, uh, I love this, exhort one another every day. Just this dailiness of life is, is what the, the, the body of Christ is called to. He says, as long as it's called today. Like, well, when should we exhort? Well, today, today is today. Okay, so let's, let's do that today. What, what about tomorrow? Well, tomorrow when we're there, it'll be called today. So let's do that. And, and next Friday, yeah, we'll be like, hey, today is Friday. Today is Friday. So how can I exhort and encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ? It's this dailiness rhythm of life that, that we've kind of boiled down to. Maybe if you show up um, occasionally on Sunday, that, that's it. No, that's not what, what's intended. And that's not what's going to help us persevere to the end. It says, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceptive. Sin entices us. It promises us one thing and delivers death. 
And yet every time we do it, we think this will feel good. This will be right. But in the end, it's deceiving us. And every time we're deceived, our heart gets a little bit harder. So the best way to not be self-deceived is to not do life all by yourself. Because we all have blind spots. But he who walks with the wise grows wise. And so we're, we're called to do life together. Well, let's look over at chapter 10. Again, he's unpacking the truth of the gospel, and um, he spends many chapters just pointing us to Jesus. So it's good and right to be reminded of what's true, and that's why we gather together like this. We're reminded of what's true, and in fact, in verse 23 of chapter 10, he says, let us hold fast. That's, that's perseverance. Let's, let's hold on to what? The confession of our hope without wavering. For he who is promised is faithful. He says, so hold fast to the gospel. Remind yourselves of what's true. Remind yourselves of right doctrine. That's true. But he doesn't end the paragraph there. He doesn't say, hey, you know how you're going to get to the end? Just have strong commitments and right belief. That's, that's not enough. That's not what's going to per- per- help us persevere to the end. Verse 24. And in addition to right commitment, right belief, and let us consider, let's be intentional about this, let's live life on purpose, how to stir up one another. How to stir up one another. Again, another one another's. To love and good works. Now this is, this is odd. The language is odd because the word stir up there, perioximos, is, is most often used in a negative connotation. So, so it might be uh, uh, to, to spur on, to, to agitate, to irritate, to provoke, to anger. That, that, that's what the word is. So, so what he's saying is let's provoke one another. Let's stir up one another. Let's be so close that we get in each other's face. Why? To love and good deeds. You're like, how is that possible? Well, well how does that work out? Like, we're, we're in such close quarters, like, hey, man, you, I, I know you just want to take the day off, but we're going to go serve at the Joshua Station, so you're coming with us, and we're going to serve the homeless. You're like, well, I don't feel like serving that. Well, it's okay. You're coming with us. I'm going to provoke you to love and good deeds. For your good and for your perseverance, I'm going to be provoking in your life. Now, we get this, right? Every athlete gets this because it's, uh, every coach does this. A coach will make you do things you don't want to do so that you can achieve things you want to achieve. That's periaximos. That's stirring up. That's provoking. And so um, we, we are called to do that in each other's life. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Life is short. And for, for the Hebrews, that, that meant tomorrow we, we could die for our faith. But, but regardless of how long we live, life is going to seem like a mist, James says. And so we have to be in each other's lives. We have to have some structured relationships that lead us to life. So, so we understand structured relationships in 21st century suburban America, right? So, so structured relationship, for example, if you uh, want to end somewhere in retirement, you might hire a financial advisor. That's a structured relationship. So they'll, they'll get together with you and they'll look at your, your, your budget and they'll help you out and they might tell you things that you don't want to hear so that, that you can get to where you want to get. That's a structured relationship. We talked about it with coaches, personal trainers, right? You don't want to do five more reps, but a good trainer will make you do five more reps, 
We do this with our kids. If, if they're struggling in school, well, we might get a tutor for them. If you're, if you're struggling uh, just relationally or, or from your past, you might get into a relationship with a counselor because they'll, they'll walk with you. It's a structured relationship. So we get this, right? So we should understand that God wants us as a faith family, as one body, to be in structured relationships. And so when we dreamed up a vision for Redemption Park, we said, this is what we want to take advantage of. Not, not that programs are bad, but we, we want to say, hey, if, if our perseverance depends on us doing life together in meaningful ways, let's, let's, let's structure things in that way. So really, we'll celebrate two years next week, but we've really started about three years ago. We came back from the mission field. We opened up our home to, to friends and some strangers, and we just said, hey, do you want to come in and have a meal with us? We, we just need some community, and, and we'll, we'll just open the, the Bible and just read a passage and, and ask each other, how, how does this apply to our lives? How, how can we do that? How can we encourage one another in, their, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods to do that? And then how can we pray for one another? And as we did that and we grew, we came to a moment like, hey, do we just keep this to ourselves? Because this is really good. We said, no, we believe that God wants, wants to spread this out. And so we decided, hey, let's, let's go public. But our first question was, do we do Sunday morning? So we don't want it to become like just another Sunday morning show, right? Because if you're looking for a Sunday morning show, there's better preachers to listen to. And Aaron's good, but he doesn't have a fog machine. And so if that's what you're looking for and lasers, there's, you can go there. We said, okay, there is still value to Sunday morning. There's 2,000 years of church history, and there's, there's the book of Acts where the, 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 the church gathered together for worship and to pray. But we see also in the book of Acts that this dailiness of life that was worked out together. In, in Acts chapter 2, early in the church, as they're empowered by the Spirit, it kind of gives us a picture of what they did together. It says they devoted themselves, so, so they were in a covenant kind of relationship together, to what? To the apostles' teaching, that's the Word of God, to fellowship, to, to doing life together, to the breaking of bread, that's, that's, that's a meal together, but that's also remembering Christ's broken body and shed blood, and to prayers. They did four things. They opened the Word, they spent life together, they shared a meal, and they prayed for one another. And God turned the world upside down. So we prayed, Lord, would you do in us what you did in them if we, if, if we do what they did? And so this has been our prayer. And so we said we need some structured relationships so that people can, can get in for, for the sake of their soul's perseverance into relationship with one another. Just two ways that we do this. The first one, we call it covenant membership. And this is just the idea that, that, that we see all throughout the New Testament, that God's people have been rescued and redeemed and brought into a faith family, a covenant family. We, we are in relationship with God, but we are also covenanting together with one another, saying, I've got your back. If things go south, I'll be there for you. And so we say, we're in this together. And we want to invite you if, you, if this is your church home and you haven't done that, to consider that. You can go online uh, on the website there and just kind of read about that if you want some more. We've got church membership books on the back table. Uh, but in the end of March, we'll have a two-week class that will just kind of introduce you more to what we believe this structured relationship will help you in your perseverance. And secondly, we do what's called gospel communities. 
This is just our attempt to to take Acts chapter 2 and apply it to our lives. And we just do it twice a month. That doesn't sound like the dailiness that they had, but we hope that it's a catalyst for growth and relationship with one another. We we don't think it's the sum total of how we'll do life together, but we hope that in, in some structured ways as we come together and we have a meal together, and we open the Word, and then we ask, how does this apply to our lives? And as we pray for one another, this will be a catalyst for our faith and our perseverance. We would invite you to do that. Most of our gospel communities are full, but we will make room for you, and we're hoping to multiply those uh, going on in the future as well. Now, as you think of that, there's probably some objections if you haven't done either one of them. Some inje- objections in your mind. And, and just, I'll deal with three of them. The first one might be, well, I don't feel like I really need community. I'm an introvert, and it's just, I, that, I don't need that. So I would just say to you, your argument is with the Bible, not with me. I've just shown you that God has intended for us to do life in meaningful, structured ways together. So you can say, no, I don't need that. And maybe by God's grace, you'll you'll get to the end and you'll have survived and you'll say, see, I didn't need that. But in that moment, do you really want to say to God, I didn't really need your means for, for my perseverance, your grace in my life. I just did it on my own. I I would say that that'd be a bad conversation to have. Secondly, you might say, well, you know, I, I, I don't need it. Or you might say, I don't have time. I mean, we're very busy, right? To that, I would just say, make time, make time. Like the, the, there's nothing more important than, than the state of your family and your soul. And so I get it. We're, we're busy. But, but, but this, is, this is not only good for you. It's good for your whole family. Show your children, not just teach your children, that the body of Christ matters. Doing life together matters. I mean, so many statistics show us that, that many kids that claim Christ as, as high schoolers go off to college and they lose their faith. Well, what's happening there? We like to claim, well, that's because it's the secular university and it's poisoned their mind. No, it's probably because of you. You haven't shown your kids that life in the body of Christ matters. So it doesn't matter what campus they go to. If you've shown them that doing life together is one of the most important things they can do, they will do life together. That they will walk with Christ on a secular campus. And so show them with your life. And, And the third objection might just be, well... I've tried it before, and I've been wounded by many people in the church. I'll say, well, that happens. (laughs) Because here's the deal. There are no perfect churches, and there are no perfect gospel communities. And and if you find one, don't go to it because you'll ruin its record. (laughs) Because we all have baggage. We, We all sin against one another. We all wound each other. And even in that, God has a plan to grow you into Christ-likeness. Because if you're not sinned against, how are you going to exercise Christ's forgiveness? How are you going to say, you know what? The gospel says I am to love you in spite of this. And so even in our imperfect ways, God is shaping and informing Christ with one another Not in isolation, but in community. And so that might be some objections. But I also want to just say this. Everyone needs accountability, belonging, and care. ABCs. Everyone's going to need that. You might feel like you don't, but a time is coming where you're going to need accountability. A a group of people that say, they got my back. 
I mean, how, how would you like it if, uh, wives, if your husband had four or five guys that, that, that if, if things got to go south, you knew they were going to come alongside him and say, hey man, how are you doing? Everyone needs a place to belong and say, those, those are the people that are cheering me on. Those are the people that pray for me. Those are the people that know what I'm going for. Everyone needs care at times. Like, it's going to happen. People will get sick. People will die. There will be brokenness. And in that moment, you're going to need care. But here's the thing about accountability, belonging, and care. In the moment that you need it, if you don't already have it, it's too late. In the moment that you, things are, are going rocky in your marriage and you're going on a business trip and you have no accountability in your life and you go down that road, it's too late. You can't just get accountability out of thin air. In the moment that you need care, and you're in a hospital bed, and you don't have a group of people that'll come alongside you and be praying for you, encouraging you, watching your kids, feeding your dog, it's too late. And so I would just implore you, just if you don't even, have, even if you don't feel like you need it today, you will need it someday. So make this a priority in your life. And then finally, just two things. Just a reminder. Do you, do you plan on having a vibrant relationship with Jesus five years from now? If so then you need community to get there. And secondly, if you're a part of this faith family in any way, shape, or form, and you believe in the mission, I'll just say this. The mission will not succeed without embracing this truth. Jesus said it in John's gospel, John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Somehow, in the way that we treat one another and, and show the world what love really looks like, that is an attractive force for the world. We exist for the glory of God and the joy of all people. And it starts in this room, loving one another. That scene back in the book of Acts that describes the early church, that whole paragraph is just this amazing picture of a covenant community living life together. But at the end of it, it has this kind of missional Statement. It says, praising God, having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So when we do life together, we believe God will honor his, his word and his promise that the world will take notice and more and more people will join the faith family. So for the glory of God and the joy of all people, let's commit to one another. Let me pray to that end. Father, we come before you now as a faith family. Lord, every one of us in this room, we're at one point in life rebels against you. And you sent your son Jesus to not only die for us and to forgive us, but to make us sons and daughters of the living God. You made us a family, Lord, so I pray, Holy Spirit, you would convict our hearts to love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, exhort one another in the days to come, to the end that Christ is glorified and we are satisfied. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.